Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. This morning, the uh, flowers here, I asked uh, Jeff if we could keep these for this morning. They're so beautiful. These are from our memorial service from yesterday for uh, Kathy. And uh, they are to re- just a reminder of uh, Kathy in memory of her. And, you know, as I was um, getting ready for uh, speaking at the, the service yesterday for Kathy, I'm not really sure why, but my thoughts kind of uh, recalled a book that I hadn't read for a long time. It was because of, I think it was because of her work with our children in children's church and Sunday school over the years and how faithful she was with that. And this last year in Vacation Bible Adventure and in Cubbies. And I, also, I remember this book I had said, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Sunday School. Now, some of you go back a few years, you might remember there was a popular book that was out called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And it was very popular, New York Times bestseller and so forth. Well, Cliff Schimmels, who was a professor at Wheaton uh, College, at the time he'd been there 17 years. I'm not sure uh, what's going on now. Uh, quite, a, quite an interesting guy. He was an odd, he, In fact, he went back to high school for six weeks at the age of 47 to find out what school was like, and he wrote a book called Notes from the World's Oldest Freshman. So he's, he was a clever guy, and he wrote this book and has lots of different stories in it. Uh, just little short vignette stories about Sunday school. Pastor Kevin mentioned that today is the uh, first day of our new uh, Sunday school year. You know, Sunday school is still a very big part of our church ministry. It's one that we uh, count on. We um, put a lot of resources in. We still believe it has value for children, youth, and adults to learn the Bible and have a chance to teach and interact and discuss and so forth. So we put a lot of energy in our Sunday school. And this this is the big day. It's the first day of our new classes, the new year. And uh, so I just wanted to share uh, one story here from what I, all I needed to know I learned in Sunday school. The lesson of Raleigh. Raleigh was not a typical boy, but his story is typical because in every community and every Sunday school, there is at least one person who finds the riches of God in a non-typical way. From the very first days, Raleigh began to venture out in the public. The whole community, community realized he was different. He had an unusual amount of curiosity, more than is normal for a child his age, and unbridled curiosity is often labeled something else and blamed for a plethora of strange behavior. Perhaps his first moment of infamy, infamy came from his bout with the clock during the first grade. Raleigh didn't study much. Well, he didn't study the things in the book on the board. Raleigh studied things like Maxine's curls, the bolts in his desk, the cracks in the lump of coal before he put him in the stove. This goes back a few years, you know, when he was writing this and mouse tracks in the cloakroom. But these weren't the kind of studies that thrill teachers. So Raleigh got to stay in during recess a great deal of the time. I'm not sure what he did during those periods when he was in the building alone or sitting with Mrs. Foster, but I doubt he studied what was in the book or on the board. I do know one day, one particular day, uh, Mr. Mrs. Foster was outside playing basketball with the rest of us, and Raleigh was in the room alone. That's when he decided to enter the fascinating world of clock repair, or at least clock investigation. Mrs. Foster's clock was a part of the community legend because she had it for so long. 
It was a large black Big Ben that sat up on top of the library cabinet and ticked loudly, particularly during those times when silence seemed to be in order. It sat perched way up out of easy reach because this clock was the official school timepiece. We ate lunch by it, and we went home by the dictates of its ticking. But that day during recess, Raleigh, with his curiosity raging full speech, managed to get the clock down and was well into his third lesson of how the insides worked by the time the rest of us finished basketball and came in to learn some more. Mrs. Foster was not pleased. In literary language, this event was a foreshadowing of a sign of things to come. Raleigh distinguished himself with such events and matters frequently. In Sunday school, Raleigh was active, and frequently an active child is renamed the terror. During opening exercises, he would get down the floor and crawl around, untying people's shoes and investigating the streaks on the floor. During prayer time, Raleigh was always in plain sight when we closed our eyes to start to pray. But he was nowhere to be seen when we opened our eyes, even during Mrs. Smith's prayers, which were quite short. During class time, Raleigh was always the first one to claim a seat, but he never occupied it. He was always up, running around, going into other classes, and crawling on the floor. In the wide open spaces outside the confines of Sunday school, Raleigh was just as active, but he had more room to spread his behavior around. Raleigh once threw a cat off the top of the barn to see if it would land on his feet, got down on his hands and knees, played like a dog, chased cars and chickens. About the time he turned 14, Raleigh got interested in motorcycles, and that's when the community gave him up as gone as good. He made his first scooter out of an old washer motor and spare parts. But after that, he went on to bigger and better things. We lost track of him and didn't even know where he was much of his teen years. Many years later, I found Raleigh again. And we're going to hold that thought, okay? We're going to hold that thought. Um, Michael's not here for me to pick on anymore, so uh, Rory, will you remind me if I don't come back to this before I'm done? Will you remind me to finish the story? That's your job, okay? Uh, we'll, come, we'll come back. Hold that thought about Raleigh uh, for a few moments. Sunday school. You know, this morning in Sunday school, we began a series from the life of Joshua. And what we're going to do for six weeks in Sunday school, in the adult classes, we're going to study from the life of Joshua. And during the morning service, we're going to connect some of the themes in our morning message from the story of Joshua. As I thought about this and thought about Sunday school and the story of Raleigh and all the other young people that over the years I've had involvement with, I thought about Joshua and how God prepared Joshua and readied him for this incredible responsibility that was given him of taking the nation of Israel into the promised land. And an absolute turning point and important transition in the life of God's people. So why don't you open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. And we're just going to talk. We looked at this in Sunday school this morning in adult classes, so we're going to touch on this. But I want us to think about this. As we think about beginning our new year together in Sunday school and our Awana clubs, youth group starts tonight for our high school group. And Wednesday, our junior high uh, Wana, Pioneer Girls, Sunday School, our Children's Choir, Children's Church, beginning again for a new program. Uh, this, is a, this is a day that is important to us. 
And it's important for, for several reasons. And I want to connect that with Joshua and Raleigh this morning as we look at this. So let's pray. Father, as we do open your word, we continue to worship through your word. And we ask, Lord, that you will speak to us through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. After the death of Moses, Joshua 1.1, the servant of the Lord, the son of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And as we looked at this in class this morning, and I'm sure that we all considered this, this theme Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people. In verse 8, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Think about it, meditate it, meditate on God's word day and night, that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or discouraged. As you come to the end of this chapter, the people... Likewise, say to Joshua, in verse, six, in verse 17, Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with, with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your word, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Obviously a clear theme. How did God prepare Joshua? To take this tremendous responsibility to follow a leader like Moses, an icon, a man who was probably on the verge of being worshipped. I mean, knowing the the people of Israel in that day and the cultures around them, Uh, a leader that that is, is a leader that you would look to and say, how can we go on without him? How can we do this? How can we go into this land without Moses, who has led us for 40 years, who has shepherded us, who has taken care of us, watched over us? been with us during our weaknesses and our temptations and our downfalls, and yet God has used him continually. How are we going to do this? How is this possible? And Moses is gone. He's gone. God buried him. They didn't even know where he was buried. And Joshua now is given the mantle. How did God prepare him for this responsibility? Oftentimes we might think of Joshua as a young man, but at this point in the story, he is not a young man. He is a fully grown adult. He's an older man. But yes, his training began as a young man. If you go back to Exodus chapter 17, and you go back to Exodus chapter 17 and the first occurrence we have of, of Joshua. And it's in the story of the conflict, the battle with the Amalekites, who were a tough people. And in verse 8 of chapter 17 of Exodus, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidah. Moses said to Joshua, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men, go out to fight the Amalekites tomorrow. I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And this is a story where Moses' arms begin to get tired 
and his arms go down and the battle starts to get lost. His arms go back up and they win. So he gets people on either side of him to hold his arms up. The one out fighting the battle is Joshua. Joshua's out there in the middle of this battle leading the army. He's a military leader. At this point, he is a young man. And he's been called to lead the army in battle against this very fierce enemy, the Amalekites. And the battle is finally won. As we sang this morning, the theme in, in, the, in this, this time period, the battle belongs to the Lord. God says, you go fight, but I will win the battles. You still have to go fight, but I'm going to win the battles if you're faithful to me. And that's what happened. In Exodus chapter 24, we encounter Joshua again. In Exodus chapter 24, we are in the context of Moses receiving the law of the law of Moses, the more than the Ten Commandments, the law given to him for Israel. And it's in this context that we see in chapter 24, in verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay. Here I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aid. And Moses went up on the mountain and he said to the elders, the elders, the older guys, the guys who were the tribal leaders, you wait here until we come back. Aaron and her, Aaron, who will be the first high priest, also, you wait here. We will come back. And you take care of anything involved in a dispute. Only Joshua went with Moses and experienced the presence of God up in that mountain and received those tablets. God was training Joshua. God was using Moses. He has come along as Moses' aid, Moses' helper, Moses' official, if you will. And God is beginning the process of training him and preparing him. God prepares people to take on these roles. God's always preparing someone to take on leadership. God never leaves us with just a leader that is gone and and nothing in his place. And God is preparing Joshua to do this work for this critical time in Israel's history when somebody is going to have to step forward and actually take them into the promised land. In Exodus chapter 33, in Exodus chapter 33, in the same context. And in verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses, verse 11 of 33, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Isn't that, think about that. In fact, this is what, this is, uh, this is what Moses remembered, a man who knew God face to face. And the Bible says what? No one shall see God in what? No one shall see God and live. says that clearly. And yet we are told that Moses was a man who, who saw God and spoke to him face to face. That's something to ponder, something to consider how this is possible, what this would mean. But you notice that as, as it says this about Moses in verse 11, you'll notice that it also says then Moses would be, that Moses that would return to camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So Moses was in this tent, uh, Joshua was in this tent of meeting. This is not necessarily the holy place. This is the tent of meeting where Joshua and Moses would go. And Joshua was with him and experienced this presence of God. Joshua, did he, did he see Moses talk face to face with God? God was preparing Joshua all along. And Moses was investing in Joshua. 
And Moses took him with him. Moses followed God's command. Moses was preparing the person to take his place, to, to lead Israel when the time came. And so we go into the book of Numbers and look at just a couple of passages. Just go a few, few books in your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. In Numbers chapter 11. In the Numbers chapter 11, there's, this, there's, a, there's an account here, which you notice in verse 28. Joshua, son of, of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since his youth, since he was a young person, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. And that's because there are people prophesying. God has somehow allowed these people to prophesy, uh, do a miraculous thing. And, and Joshua says, tell them to stop. This is not you, Moses. You, you're the only one that has the right to do this. And he steps in and Moses says, no, Joshua. So he's training him. He's teaching him. Moses says, no. Are you jealous for my sake? I wish all the Lord's people would prophesy in the Lord and would put his spirit to the test. And, and he reprimands Joshua. He, he trains him. He instructs him. He reprimands him. He challenges him. He helps him. You get this picture. Joshua is with Moses all the time. He's his right-hand man. He's, he was started out as a commander of the army, and he's moved into a role now as, as assistant to God's leader. And where Moses was, Joshua was, even on the top of the mountain. And God is invested through Moses in Joshua. And so finally, in Numbers chapter 28, Numbers chapter 27, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 27, if you look there for a moment, and you will see the ordination of Joshua in verse 18. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun. You know, I, grew up, I grew up in Sunday school back in the era. We had a series of jokes, you know, like, right, who served in... Who, where was tennis in the Bible? You know, Pharaoh served in God's word. Who in the Bible had no parents? Joshua, son of. Thanks, Rich. Rich was around then too. Okay, all right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So, so the Lord said to take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit. Lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eliezer, the priest, and enter the assembly and commission him in the presence of their presence. Give him some of your authority. So the whole Israelite community will, be, will obey him. He is to stand before Eliezer the priest. So Moses commissions, he lays his hands publicly on Joshua in front of the priest, in front of the people, and this transfer of authority is moving already toward Joshua, even in the book of Numbers, as God is preparing him for this ministry. Finally, in these Old Testament passages, one more passage I want you to look at, one more book, and that is in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the last of the books of Moses, the five books of Moses. In Deuteronomy, the word means, in the Greek, second reading of the law. Deuto to nomos' law, the second reading of the law. They have now come to where we were in Sunday school this morning. They have come to the eastern side of the, of the Jordan River. They're going to enter the land. Moses is not going with them. God says, you're not going, Moses, because of your sin of, of striking the rock when I told you to speak of it. Moses can't go. He's going to die. And so before he does, he reads the law to them. He gives them the law a second time and calls them to commitment, to a covenant with God, with this law. And I want you to notice in Deuteronomy chapter 1, as this, is, as this is, takes place and as Moses is ready to, to move toward his death, Verse 37, because of you, P 
people of Israel. The Lord became angry with me and also said, you shall not enter it. That is the land either. But your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Now notice it says here, encourage him, people, because he will lead Israel. Moses, you encourage him. God said to Moses, you can't go. But Moses, you encourage Joshua. And you encourage him because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive of your children who do not know you from good or bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them. You encourage Joshua. And in chapter 31, as Moses really now is at the end of his life, and he is about to go up to the mount and to die, God's going to let him see the land. But in Deuteronomy chapter 31, we have this whole section here. Verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, the day of your death is near. Call Joshua. Present yourselves at the tent of meeting where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came together. Verse 15, the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of cloud and stood over it. And the Lord said to Moses, with Joshua, they're together. So I'm assuming they're both in this tent, this presence, this Shekinah glory of God. And the Lord said, you are going to rest your father. These people will soon prostitute themselves. And he goes on to tell them all the terrible things these people are going to do. And Joshua is there listening to this. They are not going to obey me. They are going to disobey. They're going to be destroyed. I'm going to punish them. I will not be with them. And they're going to ask, why not? And Joshua is hearing this whole thing. And he's commissioned to be the one who's going to take them into the land. How would you like that job? How would you like that commission? Interestingly enough, we peeked ahead in my class this morning, since I was teaching Kara's class this morning. The interesting thing is if you peek ahead to the very end of Joshua's life, you'll find that it says that when Joshua died, that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and the elders that outlived him. That is an amazing statement in the Old Testament. Think about it. How many leaders could that be set of? Not King David, not Solomon, not the judges, not Moses, not Samuel. I think it's the only one. And it turns out these things did not happen in Joshua's lifetime. They happened after his lifetime. But he was prepared. Twice, twice in God's charge, to Moses, he says, encourage Joshua. Encourage him. What's really interesting to me is just a little bit of, a little bit of Hebrew here, that in the Hebrew, the word encourage that we find in 138 and 328, where Moses is specifically told to encourage Joshua, is the word katatz. And that word means strong. It's the word for strength. Give him strength. Teach him to be strong. Give him strength. Encourage him, Moses. This is part of your job. You know, Moses was a busy man. He had a a, a company of more than a million people to lead, to take into this promised land. He was in charge of all that. It was amazing. And And yet he has time to spend and to invest and to strengthen and encourage this young man who has now grown up, Joshua, so when he is gone, Joshua can step in and lead the people. Encourage him. But the word means strength. 
And so what's interesting to me, when we come to the challenge to Joshua, in chapter 31, like we're going to see right here, and in verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is called Joshua, present him. And he, and he brings him. And, and Joshua is challenged here. And in Joshua chapter 1, we looked at what? Be strong and what? And courageous. And the interesting thing is, the word courageous is a different word than encourage. The word encourage is the one that goes with strong. The word courage is a different word. I mean, you would almost think, right, that encourage would somehow be connected to courage. But the fact of the matter is that God told Moses, you strengthen Joshua, you encourage him. And then Joshua, when he receives the mantle and is all by himself and no more Moses. I mean, if anybody missed Moses, it was Joshua, right? If anybody felt that loss. And he's the one who stood with him on the mount. He's the one that stood shoulder to shoulder with him. If anybody missed him, it was him. Moses is to encourage him. And Joshua is called to have courage and strength. The strength is the encouragement that he had been given. You come and join us for Sunday school. We're going to study the life of Joshua and how this strength and this encouragement and courage plays out. But in uh, wrapping up this for what this means to us today. What does this mean for us? Why am I talking about this today as we begin our new year together in our Christian education ministries. You know, I have, to, I have to remind you that you know I'm a Christian education pastor at heart. Uh, that was my first calling. In uh, 1978, I went back to Minneapolis and worked for five and a half, almost six years at Bethesda Church back there as a Christian education pastor. I came here to Berean and served for nine years uh, before you called me to be the pastor. I was the Christian education pastor, what Susie does now. And she does a wonderful job, and we're so fortunate and blessed to have Susie and, and you know that, doing this ministry. We are committed to Christian education. As long as this pastor is here, you'll be committed to Christian education. I can tell you that. Why am I talking about this? You know, uh, we just finished a series on... Does anybody remember what we've been talking about the last four weeks, five weeks? What was it? Good, thank you. Paul's second missionary journey. Thanks, Rich. Good for you. That's why you're there, okay? <laughs> and do you remember last week who preached? No, yeah, not Caleb, Cameron Beefus, right? And Cameron Beefus, uh, you remember one of the points of his memory? Where are you, Cameron? You here today? Oh, there you are, hiding right there. Okay, good, thank you. Cameron, uh, who we've really enjoyed having on staff, great young guy, and we're going to miss him when he goes back in December. Um, he, he helped us last week focus on and, and challenge us with who are you investing in? Who are you investing in? We talked about Paul's second missionary journey. And he, and he spoke to us on what? what was it? it was on strengthening. Remember what it said? It says multiple times that they stayed and they strengthened the church. Who did Paul invest in? Who was Paul's Joshua who stood shoulder to shoulder with him, who was beaten up with him and thrown in jail? Who were those who were left to carry on a tough task in some of these places where, where, where Paul says it's going to be hard? Who were they? Silas. He went with Paul and Paul took him alongside and, and the first thing he did was get beat up and thrown in jail with Paul. 
Timothy and Titus, who got left behind to Paul would establish these churches, and these guys would get left Timothy to stay and help get it going. A young man, young guy like some of you guys here, a young man. But Paul had time to invest in him, and, and, and Cameron taught us and reminded us about that last week. And Gary touched on it the week before as we were in, in the city of Corinth. And in closing, I want you, I want you to, to, to go to 2 Timothy, because I think about this, you know, the Apostle Paul, who was, who was carrying God's word to the Gentile world, he, it was his commission. When he was saved, he was told by Ananias, not that you're going to be successful, not that everybody's going to like you, not that things are going to go great, but he said, I'm going to show him all things he must suffer for my name's sake. And every place he went, and, and Gary pointed this out in his sermon, Gary pointed out that, um, you know, the suffering that Paul went through, and as he comes to the end of his life, and he knows it's the end of his life, just like Moses knew it was the end of his life, and Moses had invested in Joshua and spent and encouraged him, he strengthened him. Paul has encouraged Timothy, he strengthens Timothy, he prepares him. Paul is not going to be around forever, and he doesn't need to be. He doesn't need to be. It's not his work, it's God's work. And as he strengthens and prepares him, um, he, he says to him in, in, in chapter 2 of, of 2 Timothy, this is the end of Paul's life. Read the last chapter, you'll see it. He knows he's going to die. He knows it. You then, my son, what? Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, Timothy, you have to encourage and strengthen others. You're a young man, but you have to do this too. The things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Our brother Jerry Snow is in, in the hospital. And uh, we get, I've had some fun conversations with Jerry. Jerry was in General Patton's army. General Patton's army. Uh, and if you've ever seen the movie Patton, he was one of those guys that came up in that critical battle and came across Europe. I've got a book I picked up, and it's full of maps. I said, Jerry, next time I come over to see your house, I'm going to bring us over, and we're going to get these maps out and show me where, where you were. And talk about some of these. Some of you have served in the Army. Some of you have been in combat. I know I have not been. I know some of you have been. I know it. And you know what, what, what he's talking about. You know what he's talking about. You don't, you don't go into combat expecting it to be easy. It's hard. You don't come away and complain, well, that was hard. Of course it's hard. You were put into combat. You didn't want to, but you're there. Endure hardship like a soldier, Timothy. I'm encouraging you. I prepared you. It's going to be like soldiering. It's going to, be, it's going to hurt. You're going to get wounded. There's going to be some bloodshed. It's going to be tough. Nowhere are any of these people ever told. Nobody. Nobody is told. Serve the Lord and things are going to be completely easy and happy and simple and peaceful. That's Eastern mysticism. That's not the Bible. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. If you make that commitment, expect it. But the battle belongs to the Lord. Israel, you go fight, but you don't have to win. You just go fight. 
I am going to win. Listen, friends, you read the book of Revelation. How many are going to BSF this year? Let's see your hands. Oh, good showing. Good, 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 good. Good, great ministry. Um, starting this week? It's Tuesday. What are you studying this year? Revelation. And uh, they're expecting a great study. I know it will be. It's a great ministry, and we encourage it. That's why we let them use our church Tuesday night. Take over the whole church, except for my office. Okay? Everything. Okay? And they're going to study Revelation. And, and keep in mind, when you're studying Revelation, keep in mind the big picture. Everything else fits under this. God wins. Satan loses. It's not that complicated. God wins. Satan loses. The battle belongs to the Lord. Timothy, endure hardship. Timothy, be strong in the Lord. I used to have a friend who used to sit right about where Trainer is, right there. And, uh, and uh, Tully Roach, some of you remember Tully Roach, older gentleman in our church, and one of our founders. Uh, whenever I would preach as an associate, when I was Christian Ed pastor, I'd preach once in a while. And like all, you know, young people, you're all real nice to us, you know, and tell us how good it was and everything, you know. Um, even when it wasn't, you know, what are you going to say? You know, boy, that stunk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some of you would, I know, but that's okay. But, you know, generally we're trying to be encouraging. And, uh, but Tully Roach, you know what he'd always say to me? He'd say, well, that, that was good. That, that, that was good. But be bold. Be bold. You're too timid. Be bold. Listen, friends, we need to be reminded of that. Paul tells us, be strong, be bold, stand firm. Strength comes from the Lord. And listen, the fascinating thing about this, when Paul says to Timothy, you then, my son, verse two, 1 of chapter 2, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Listen, just bear with me, this little lesson in language. In the Greek, it's, it's a passive Verb. You know what that means? An active means I'm doing it. If I'm if I if I'm a pitcher, went to the baseball game the other night, and uh, first time ever I got a ball. I got a ball. <laughs> Teresa put on something that to our, one of our kids. Look what we caught. Well, I didn't catch it really. The ball hit somebody behind about two rows. A lady had her back. It hit her in the back, I think. Hit the ground, rolled down. I'm sitting there looking, and here comes a baseball rolling right by my feet. So I'm, I picked it up. <laughs> the la- you know, the last person to touch that ball was Iwakuma. Yeah, before he got shelled in the next inning. But anyway, where was I going with that? Oh yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so. If I threw the ball and hit Keith Kemper over there, I'm acting on it. That's active. Keith is the passive verb. He got hit by the ball. That's passive. It happens to you. That's the fascinating thing. You don't need to be a language expert to understand this. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's passive. The strength comes from without to you. It is not something you have to generate. It is not something you have to go home and work as hard as you can to be strong in the Lord. No. What Paul is saying is, Timothy, be receptive. Get hit. Receive God's strength. Receive God's strength. And listen, every one of you know Christ is Savior. I know you don't feel strong. I don't feel strong. Come on, let's be honest. 
We don't feel strong, do we? We feel weak. We've been talking about that, and Paul, Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. We all feel weak. We all know too well our own personal weaknesses. Nobody knows it better than us. We all know that. But we have to learn the role of weakness. What are we teaching? Why are we investing in our youth and children ministry at this church? What do we have to offer them? What do we have to offer? To remind them strength comes from within. Not within, but from without. Strength comes from without. Get hit. Get hit by it. We are trying to teach to build character. Joshua was a man of tremendous character. And character matters. Remember that when you elect leaders. Character matters. Learn the role of weakness. We need to teach and train them to expect and prepare for hardship. We need to teach them how to understand, how to deal with success. As Paul says, I'm about ready to be offered. I fought the good fight. There's a crown of righteousness laid up for me in heaven where, where God will get the glory. And we need to teach them that they will help lead a strong church. Listen, friends, some of those little kids that just went out here a little while ago, some of those little kids are going to be elders and leaders in this church. They are going to be making the decisions, not you. You and I are going to be gone. Sorry to tell you that, but a lot of us will be gone. They will be doing it. We prayed for our brother Matt Amundsen today, serving as youth pastor in Holland, Michigan. He's had an impact on so many kids, and his wife has cancer right now. We need to pray him through this. He grew up in his church. I was here when he stood up on this stage and did a Christian rap when he was in junior high with four other guys, one of your sons. And we had some people about die <laughs> in church. <laughs> Dan Dean about lost his job. These are the people that are going to be leading. These are the people that are going to be in charge. What are we teaching them? Why are we committed to this ministry? You're going to remind me something, uh, Rory. What are you going to remind me of? Oh, finish the story. All right, thanks, Rory. Many years later, I found Raleigh again. Remember Raleigh? Raleigh? And I know where he is and what he does. He works as a missionary repairman in a remote village in the Amazon jungle where his curiosity and talent with machinery make him a productive servant in the work of God. He can not only fix anything, he can build anything. He still has unlimited energy. He works night and day. In other words, God is using him and his ability, all of it. My story about Raleigh isn't all that surprising or ironic, so why bother remembering telling it? We need to recall it and think about it often, not for the Raleigh's of our generation, but for those of the next, for those young boys and girls who take clocks apart, who crawl on the floor during Sunday school, and for their teachers and parents 
This is why people like Mr. Smith and Mrs. Murphy and Mrs. Henderson get up an hour or two early every Sunday morning for 25 years to talk to a bunch of children and to teach them such things as learning the books of the Bible and singing the songs. Even though Raleigh spent his time crawling on the floor and disappearing when our eyes were closed in prayer, and even though it didn't seem that he was hearing all that much at the time, I wonder how it would have all come out if Raleigh had not been there at all. If there had been no Mr. Smith who led the singing or Mrs. Murphy who taught about David, would God now have a servant working on machinery in the Amazon jungle? Raleigh's not too different from the rest of us. Every one of us is our Raleigh story in a special kind of way. We are the purpose of the energies and the efforts and expenses called Sunday School. And I would add Pioneer Girls, and I would add Awana, and I would add Life and Rock Youth Group, and I would add Vacation Bible Adventure. We are also the living examples of the biggest lesson of all, because Sunday School is about the power of Jesus to change people. The wonderful thing about having served here, I've been on staff for 31 years, full-time as a pastor. Before that, I, as your age, Cameron, I interned here for a year. I worked with our youth pastor. And the thing is, there's a whole bunch of you sitting here today or standing here now that I know were the Raleigh's and the Miss Raleigh's in this church. I'm going to look up here so you don't think I'm looking at any of you. <laughs> at some point in your life. And you know what? Today... They're leading, they're raising their children to serve the Lord, they're loving God, they're teaching to the future of this church, they're serving overseas, they're serving in churches. This church has put out more missionaries and pastors and youth leaders than any church in our fellowship. Is there any reason to stop? There's no reason to stop. Let's work hard together. I committed to get out at 12 o'clock today. Next week I will. Last week, Cameron let you out 10 minutes early, so we're even. <laughs> God bless you. God bless you for coming today and committing to this work. Father, we come to you today and we just humbly give you thanks for the privilege of having a place to come, to worship, to celebrate, to sacrifice, to work hard to fight the battles. I thank you for a congregation that gives their money sacrificially because we need that to do the kind of things that you've called us to do. I thank you for these dear young people. I thank you for our children. And I thank you that you're going to use them to impact this world, to impact this community, to impact this church, and to impact our lives. And we just want to thank you for letting us have a part of that. And all God's people can stay together. Amen. Amen.